Well, we're just about two and a half weeks away from Christmas. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let me ask you, is your house decorated the way you want it to for Christmas? How many of you have already hauled out all the Christmas decorations from the attic? How many of you still got a lot of work to do in your home? How many of you are kind of like, I don't care about decorating for Christmas? No, I won't make you answer that. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, Christmas decorating usually centers around the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is usually the prominent decoration in, in a home. And I don't know how you feel about your Christmas tree, but when you think about pulling that Christmas tree down in the attic and, and pulling your family and grandkids together to, to uh, decorate it, doesn't it usually in your mind's eye kind of feel like this picture right here when you think about it? Oh, there you go. You have this mom and dad, and they got the kids, and everybody's happy, and you've got this beautiful tree, and the kids are hanging ornaments. And if, and if this picture could speak to us, we'd probably hear Christmas music playing in the background. The smell of hot cocoa is on the stove. I mean, this picture, that's what we think about when we think about decorating our Christmas tree. Now, I don't know how it is in your home, but isn't it true that this image of Christmas tranquility can easily turn into this. There you go. And if you're laughing, you know, because you've been there, right? What you think should be this very harmonious, happy, fun, enjoyable thing often turns out to be full of conflict. Fighting over where the tree needs to go and, and, and arguing over how many lights you put on the tree and how those lights go on the tree and what ornaments go on and what ornaments don't go on and so forth. And who gets to put the star on top? Anybody in your home fight over that? Or am I just talking about my home? Okay, we've all been there. We've all been there. I'll give you a little glimpse into our home. Uh, my wife and I have spent 21 Christmases together, and I still can't get a clear answer on why does the part of the tree that's against the wall need as many lights and decorations as the rest of the tree? Who's with me on this one, right? Why decorate the side of the tree that no one is ever going to see or pay attention to? It seems like a lot of wasted energy and a lot of work because you don't just put it up, you got to take it down. Well, after 21 tries at winning that argument, I still have yet to win in my house. So if you come over to my house, my tree is just as decorated on the parts of it that you're never going to see as on the front. But I'll keep trying until the day I die to put up a tree that's only got half of it decorated and no one will know the difference. We've all been there, right? We've all been there when something that's supposed to be quite peaceful and enjoyable turns into conflict. I don't know about you, but I'd take a little peace these days, wouldn't you? Well, I'd love a little bit more peace than what we see in everyday life. And this is 2020. I mean, you could argue that this has been the year of non-peace. We started out at the beginning of this year with a global pandemic. And we're ending this year with a very contentious political election. And in between these two huge things, we've done as Americans nothing but fight. And we have fought and argued a lot. One, you know, it makes you wonder, at least I have at times, is there going to be any end to this at all? Is there any peaceful situation at all in the way the world is right now? I'll admit to you, sometimes it's hard to comprehend a world that has peace in it. Even when you turn those thoughts and you focus them on your family, the idea of even having an entire week go by, seven full days, where there is peace and tranquility and no arguing or fighting or raised voices, you know, that's kind of hard to imagine too, let alone 
an entire world filled with peace. You know, we are in a series right now called The Best Christmas Ever. And if you were with us last week, then you know that I asked you this question. Out of everything there is in the world, what do you really want for Christmas? Do you remember that question? I said, push all the material stuff aside, all the toys and gadgets and gizmos. Put that on the side for a minute. What do you really want this Christmas? And what I argued last week is what people really want, whether they know it or they can articulate it or say it, what they really want for Christmas is hope. Just a little bit of hope to shine through in the darkness. That's what people really want. Obviously, hope is a foundational piece of Jesus' story. But you know what else I think people really want for Christmas? What I think would make this the best Christmas ever is also, along with hope, some peace. Peace, like hope, are both foundational to everything that Jesus is about and really everything that makes Christmas what it's meant to be. Now, last week we looked at one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament that Isaiah gave about Jesus being the light in the darkness and bringing hope in the world. I want us to turn our attention this morning to another one of Isaiah's prophecies. Just look at the screens behind me. This is an incredible prophecy, and maybe some of you, you know, just thought this was a song. You didn't realize this came from a prophecy about Jesus. It goes like this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's hard not to sing that, isn't it? And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, isn't that such a wonderful thing to think about? Of what Jesus is going to be involved with, what he is going to oversee, it's never going to come to an end. Nothing will compare to its greatness, and it will be about a peace that will come to no end. Now that, that sounds nice. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So in this passage, Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, and he gives him names. He calls him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Ever Eternal Father, and what? Prince of Peace. And this thing that Jesus is going to lead is never going to come to an end. It will never stop growing. It's never going to run out of peace. And I'll tell you, you put your thoughts into this verse and what Isaiah is talking about, and you overlay that with the world we live in, a world that is full of conflict, it's hard to imagine this coming to fruition. But what does it mean? And I say more importantly, how do we as Christians today embrace the peace of Christ in the midst of what we're going through as a nation? As you read through the Old Testament and you come across these prophecies, and there are many prophecies about Jesus, all of that together begins to paint a picture for us that there was this great expectation through the Old Testament age of the scriptures that this one to come, there was someone that they were looking forward to. There was someone or something that those believed that God was going to do and there was going to be great joy and great expectation. Something was coming. Now, we get the advantage of living on this side of the cross. 
We can look back. We have the completed scriptures, and we can look back to the beginning of time, and we can see what God was doing, and that the prophets were all prophesying about Jesus, and we can see and we know that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose back to life, the Holy Spirit came, the church was established, the scriptures were completed. We get to live over here. And we get to look back on all of this and, and, and we can see, yes, everything that the Lord said was true. Jesus was coming, this Prince of Peace and all that he was going to be about. You know, there's this Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's a very familiar word to each of us today. In fact, you've probably said it before and you didn't realize you were actually, you know, saying Hebrew. And if you go to the Holy Land today, you're going to hear this word a lot. And if you know this word, say it with me. It's the word for peace, shalom. Yeah, shalom. You're familiar with it. Shalom, in the Old Testament, it is the most prominent Old Testament word for peace. And this word peace, it has a very, this word shalom has a very wide range of application. It can be referring to the wholeness of somebody, or it can be referring to their health or their security or well-being. It can even be in reference to someone's very own salvation. And shalom can apply to a lot of different contexts. It can be peace between two individuals. It can be peace between two nations. I mean, it really, shalom is an absence of conflict. And there are plenty of uses in the Old Testament where shalom is applied to a lack of conflict between God and man and salvation, shalom. So when Isaiah says that this one to come, this expected one, this one that we've been waiting for, this child that has been born to us is going to be the prince of shalom. That Jesus is going to be the prince of shalom. And that's an amazing um, uh, understanding of the purpose of Jesus. Now the Hebrew word for prince is sar. That's how we translate it in English. Sar means prince. It means ruler. It means captain. It means, you know, a chieftain or some kind of official. And so in this verse, it gets translated in English as prince. So he will be a prince of peace. So this child born to us is going to be a leader. He is going to be the champion, the, the, the captain leading the charge of peace, this wholeness, well-being, salvation. That's what these prophecies are are talking about Jesus is going to be the prince of shalom. That's what the prophecies say. It's also what the angel also announced on the night that Jesus was born. Do you remember the Luke birth narrative of Jesus? Luke chapter 2 verse 14, the angels show up and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest heaven. And then he says, on earth, what? Peace to those whom his favor rest. So the announcement of the birth of Messiah, it echoes the prophecy of Isaiah that this Messiah, this child that's born, is going to be about the work of peace. And not just peace between people, but even a greater peace, a peace that leads to salvation, a peace between God and man. That this child laid in the manger is going to bring man and God together. He's going to be the prince of shalom. It's pretty powerful powerful prophecy. So peace is what the prophet said Jesus was going to bring. Peace is what the angels announced that Jesus would bring. And so what did Jesus say that he brings out of his own mouth? What did 
What did Jesus say? And I want us to look at that for a few moments this morning. What is it that Jesus said? What does the New Testament say about the peace that Jesus brought when he was born on that holy night all those years ago? Well, I'm going to start answering those questions with something that he said to his disciples one time. We find this in John chapter 16. Jesus is, is talking to the disciples, and he says something very interesting to them. He says, hey, guys, in this world, you're going to have lots of trouble. In fact, he says to the disciples, you all are going to get a full dose of trouble in this world. But even in that, you can still have peace. I want you to remember something today, that Jesus brought a peace that will see you through any trouble. Jesus brought a peace with him, this prince of peace, that will see you through any trouble. Now, the reason I know this to be true is because the Bible tells me so, and I want to show you where it tells me. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this, John 16, I have told you these things. So what did Jesus say? Jesus starts to tell them all kinds of stuff about what's going to happen and what he's got to do. And then he says, I've told you all of this for a very specific reason. I told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace. I think about it. I just unloaded a whole can on what's going to happen. And I tell you this so you can have peace. And then he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, what's all this stuff that Jesus just unloaded on them? Well, Jesus started to tell them all the things that he's going to have to do. And in order to fulfill what God sent him to the earth to do, he is going to have to leave. But he's going to send them a helper. And they can't fully understand all of what Jesus is saying. Remember, they're living in the moment. We're living over here. And we can put it all together. But in the moment, they didn't fully understand. And Jesus said, listen, this is what you guys need to know. You need to know all this stuff so you can be ready for it. And then he says at the end of chapter 16, I tell you all this stuff so that in me you can have peace. But don't ever take your eyes off this fact that in this world you're going to have some trouble. But I have overcome all that. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus shared this revelation with his disciples. And by extension, he is sharing these same truths and revelations to us today. And like I said, we got the whole bonus of seeing all of this already play out. And so what that means for us today is we can take Jesus at his word. We can take him at his word all the time. And if Jesus said to the disciples, and it turned out to be true, and we can take to ourselves that in this world we're going to have trouble, but we know all this so we can have peace. I have overcome the world. So you talk about peace Having peace in Christ means believing and trusting in all that he did. It does not mean that you're going to have a conflict, problem-free life. Can I get an amen? It does not mean that. Live long enough on this earth, you're going to know that this world comes with trouble. Live long enough as a Christian, and you're going to see that the very nature of what you believe is naturally at conflict with the way the world believes So even life as a follower of Jesus comes with trouble. So Jesus is not saying that you are going to live a conflict, trouble-free life. But it means that you can have this deep, this deepness in your soul that no matter what trouble comes your way, that you can have peace. 
peace. Like hope, we looked at last week, hope. Hope does not come and go, rise and fall based on what we experience in life. Why? Because hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ and that is a constant and I talked about how, you, how, have you ever met somebody who is going through a really hard time and you're like, I don't know if I could go through them as well as they are, but what's coming out of them is a maturity in Christ that knows that my hope in this world comes from Jesus, not on what is good or bad happening. And you know what? Peace is a lot like that. Where does our peace come from? Our peace came with Jesus. The Prince of Peace brought it into this world and our peace in this world does not ride the current of what's happening. Our peace with Christ doesn't, doesn't revolve around whether it's a vaccine or not. Our peace with Christ doesn't revolve around who the president is or what's happening politically. Our peace with Christ doesn't have anything to do with what we may be experiencing in our own life, whether it be illness or family drama or whatever. Our peace comes from Christ alone. That's what he brought. And when our trust is in him, He'll see you through any trouble. Horatio Spafford is the name some of you will recognize and some of you will not. Horatio Spafford lived back in the 1800s and, and uh, he had it pretty good. But he knows all about trouble because one day that good crashed on him. You see, he was in real estate, did really quite well. He was also a very successful attorney. But then in 1871, the Chicago fire came in, if you remember that from history, destroyed a good part of the city and destroyed his fortune in the process. About that same time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Now, in just a very short amount of time, he loses everything and his son passes away. Friends, this is trouble. This is when trouble comes into your life. Horatio Spafford thinking that I just need to get away from all of this. My family needs to separate and decompress. He sends his wife and his four daughters on a ship across the Atlantic for some vacation. They're going to go to England. A, few, a short while later, he's going to join them after he wraps up some business dealings. But if you know what happened, the vessel that was carrying his wife and four daughters collided with another ship and sank. History says it sank in 20 minutes. That's all it took for that boat to ship. To sink, 200 people lost their lives, including his four daughters. Are you keeping track? He lost his son and his four daughters and his entire fortune in a very short amount of time. His wife was rescued, his wife Anna. She made it to England and she sent back to her husband one of the most famous telegrams ever sent. She said, saved alone, what do I do? Horatio got on a ship and he went as fast as he could across the Atlantic to, 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 to get to his wife. And the ship that he was on, the captain of the ship, knowing Horatio was on his ship and that he had lost his whole family, when they were sailing across the place where his daughters perished, the captain brought Horatio up on deck and he said, I thought you'd like to know that this is where the accident happened. And we are sailing right over the spot where you're daughters perished and Horatio got out a pen and paper and he began to write what he was feeling in that moment history tells us that there was some peace there was some comfort that came over him as he began to write on that ship as it sailed over where his daughters perished and those words would later be turned into what is arguably one of the most famous hymns ever written 
that will be sung hundreds of times today in churches all across our country. Maybe you're familiar with the lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Do you realize that only a Christian could ever write such things? And do you also realize that only Christians could ever understand such things? Only followers of Jesus could sing about such things. When I think about peace being a part of Jesus' story, and what really makes this the best Christmas ever is the reminder that the peace that Jesus brought will see you through any trouble. You know what else this peace does that Jesus brought? This peace, I mean, it, it's a peace that transcends all understanding. You can almost hardly articulate it at times when you experience the peace of God. It's this deep, abiding peace. It's difficult to understand. Paul, the great apostle Paul in the New Testament was trying to communicate in his own words about this peace that he was experiencing in the midst of a very troubled time in his life. Philippians chapter 4, he writes to the church and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. I think you need to know he wrote those words in prison. Things are not going great for him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And then he says to the church, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Man, does anybody in here need that reminder today? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what, what Paul is saying is, look, no matter what you're facing, rejoice in it. Take it to God. He's telling the church, get on your knees, church. And then he says, this is what's going to happen when you do. And the peace of God. So this is that part that's hard to explain. When you experience it, you know it. You're like, oh, that's that thing. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's not always going to make sense. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying is in every situation, every situation, whether good or bad, we go to our knees in prayer. And we go to our knees with great thanksgiving in our hearts. And we offer these things to God and we, we, we just lay them at his feet. It's interesting, as, as you let go of things, the more you release to God, God's power to something that, like I said, it kind of transcends our understanding. It's hard to articulate. But more often than not, as we rejoice and give over to God and give him all things, it's amazing how often we'll trade anxiety for peace. And we'll trade fear for rejoicing. And we'll trade suspicions for faith. And amazingly, I would say, divinely, maybe miraculously, the peace of God, which, which we have in Christ, it will guard our hearts and minds. 
Friends, this is deeply personal. And I wonder, have you experienced such a peace before? He's like, I don't get it. I just give it to God and I let God do his thing and I'm gonna rejoice in him anyway. He's in control. Boy, I tell you, you make that a daily habit of your life. There's a peace that comes with that. So Jesus brought a peace that will see you through any trouble. Jesus brought with him this prince of peace. He brought a peace that transcends our understanding at times. But you know what else he did? He brought a peace that is a gift to each of us. It's a gift to you. I don't know. Have you ever read through the New Testament and the gospel specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, and he ever just marveled at the different situations Jesus seemed to get himself into and how he always seemed to keep his cool. I don't know how you read the Bible, but I sometimes read the Bible and go, ah, oh, that's not gonna be, that wouldn't be my response. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Or you say, how did he do that? How did he keep his cool? Now, I, I say that in relation to things like this. Jesus was interrogated by the highest leaders of the land, falsely accused and interrogated. How did he keep his cool in that? There were oftentimes in Jesus' ministry where people that he was trying to help wanted to hurt him or kill him. I mean, for crying out loud, he spent several years traveling around with a man that he knew ultimately would be betraying him, leading him right to the cross. How do you do that? And I, I asked this question, what did Jesus know that I don't know. Now really think about that. What, what did Jesus know that I seem to fail to know right now? How did he do that? Now obviously, he's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. So let's all agree, there's billions of things that he knows that we don't know. But the point I'm trying to make is Christ seemed to have, as you read the New Testament, and you'll see it yourself when you read it through this lens, he seemed to have this total trust in who he was and what his life was all about and the God who sent him there. It just seemed to have it. He trusted the Heavenly Father. He, he, he trusted everything else, his faith. It just, every situation, it's like he totally gets it. He's in control. Uh, case in point, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the garden, and what did he pray? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Hey, if there's another way, can we find it? And God said, no. And so what did Jesus do? Good enough for me. Jesus rises up and he goes to meet his betrayer. What peace, what trust, what, what calmness, all of these things going on. And, and I look at the peace that Jesus had in every single situation we read about his life in the New Testament. And that's the kind of peace that he says, I want to give this, what I have, I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you as a gift. And the reason we know this is a gift to be given is because it's exactly what he said to his disciples. Do you remember in, in John chapter 14, verse 27, what did Jesus say to them? He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Is it possible that this prince of peace, this child born unto us, the savior of the world, this peace that he brings with him that guided him all the way through his ministry is something that can be given to somebody else. And I would say, absolutely, it's true. Now he says to his disciples, if you keep reading, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. 
Is it possible that the peace that Jesus wants to give you will see you through any trouble? Yes. And it will bring you through um, anything that causes fear? Yes. This is something you and I can have. What specifically, what is it that this peace, this aspect of peace that Jesus wants to give, I can boil it down to you. You know what Jesus is talking about? Jesus is saying the peace that I brought and the peace that I want to give to you can be summed up with these few words. It is peace with God. That's what you can have. And that's what I want to give to you. More than any kind of peace that we could read about that Jesus had in his life, what he wants to give is peace with God. And his arrival onto the earth made it possible for you and me. Now think about this. He made it possible for you and me to be in complete, conflict-free, guilt-free, I know I'm saved kind of peace with God. That's what he brought. See, this kind of peace that Jesus brought with him is the kind of peace with God that allows you and I to walk around every day of our lives knowing that if today happens to be my last day on earth, God and I are good. Because upon my death, I will immediately be moved into the presence of God in all eternity. It will be like a blink of an eye. It will be like nothing more than a breath to me, and I will be with God. That's the peace that we have with God that, we, that Jesus brought. That's some incredible peace. Peace that Jesus brought lets me know that everything is going to be okay. And it may seem on the surface like everything around us are falling apart, but this peace that God gives to us lets me know ultimately it's going to be okay. What Jesus brought was a peace with God that allows you and I to wake up each and every day knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control. God owns this day. God owns everything about this day and I can trust him to completely walk with me through this day because God already knows what, what's in my best interest and he's already fighting for what's in my best interest through his vision. Peace with God is waking up every day knowing God's in control. So peace with God, what an incredible gift. I can't think of anything more I would want for Christmas. And I would not be a very good pastor if I didn't ask you this question. This peace with God that Jesus brought, do you have it? Do you have it today? Are you at peace with God? And if your answer to that question is no, I, I don't have that peace with God, then I hope your follow-up question would be, how do I get it? If I don't have it, how do I get this peace with God? Well, you know what? I can tell you exactly how you get it. You know how I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Probably Romans chapter 5 verse 1 probably is the simplest, easiest way to understand it in all the Bible. There's lots of, lots of places, but I'll, I'll take you to this one. Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified. Now, let's stop right there. Justified. What does that mean? Justified is not a complicated word. It just means made right. So you used to be in the wrong, but now you've been justified. You've been made right or made righteous. You went from being wrong to being right. I like that. Don't you like that? I like being right. So Paul says, you have been justified. You've been made right. You have been moved into a right standing. How? Through faith. 
well, what is faith? Well, faith begins with these words, I believe. Well, what do you believe? Faith is grounded in this. I believe that God loved me so much that he wanted to spend the rest of, of, of eternity with me. So out of that deep love, God sent his son Jesus to the world. He lived and he died and he rose to life three days later. And he is alive today and he is set the right hand of God. And one day he is going to come back again and we will be together for all eternity. I believe, that's my faith. So I used to be wrong, but now I'm made right. How did I get right? Because of what Jesus did for me and I believe it through faith in Jesus Christ. What is the net result of that? Well, it tells us. What do you now have? We now have peace with God. Shalom. And that's not the same New Testament word, but I'm just saying the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, brought you to a point through the shed blood on the cross, peace with God. So since we have been made right through faith in Jesus, we now have peace with God. God. That's how you get it. So I ask you, do you have peace with God? And if you say, no, I don't, how do I get it? That's how you get it. It said another way in Colossians 1.19, it says, for God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. It means Jesus was God. And through him to reconcile himself or bring together all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by doing what? By making peace how? Through his, Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Now, the Bible has plenty to say about this. And what is very clear from these two passages we just read is this. Peace with God is the birthright of every believer. Peace with, if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have this peace with God. It comes with being our word, born again. This peace comes with the family. And there is no greater peace available on this earth than peace with God shared with other like-minded believers. And this peace is maintained through a very close relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now I take a step back and I look at our world today and we ask the question, what is it that people want? Stated or unstated, I think most people in this world just want some peace. I think it's what people really desire. Peace in their family, peace within their finances, peace on the job, peace about past mistakes, peace about present circumstances, peace about future goals. And human nature does this. I'm going to search for that peace somewhere. I'm going to search for that peace. And most people will try to find that peace that we're talking about in other people. I'm going to try to find that peace, that thing I'm looking for in a relationship. Or I'm going to try to find that peace within my own children. Or I'm going to try to find that peace in the hobbies and fun things that I can do with people. And that's not where peace comes from. Because peace does not reside in other people. Peace comes from the Lord. Other times people will search for peace in material possessions. Have you sought that out, that pursuit before? Believing the myth that the more I can get, the happier and more peaceful my life will become. And so what do people do? They try to surround themselves with toys and gadgets and things and possessions, all the stuff that money can buy, and then they find out, and some of you have been there, there's no peace with this. 
searching for true peace in those kind of areas, in other people and in possessions and things money can buy, actually that, those kind of pursuits come with some, some significant consequences. You know, when you pursue things that money can buy, oftentimes when you're looking for peace and joy and happiness, it leads to greed. When you're looking for peace in other people and in relationships, oftentimes it leads to hurt, pain, and destruction. But let me tell you, it's peace with God. That's what your heart really desires. And you may have never been able to put words on it, but for the first time, it's finally making sense. Peace with God, that's what you want. That's what your heart is searching for. And all these other aspects of peace, well, they just filter out from that. Peace with God is the granddaddy, and the rest of the peace, domino out. If you think about the best Christmas ever, it's going to be marked by peace. Hope and peace. All foundational to Jesus' story. Hope. Do you have the hope in the shed blood of Christ? The hope that is the light in the darkness and that all that the Lord said is going to come true. That no matter what comes our way, we have this hope in our Heavenly Father through Jesus. And do you have peace? A peace that transcends all understanding. A peace that will see you through any trouble. A peace that Jesus handed to you like a runner handing a baton to another racer. I want to give this to you. Is peace with God through the shed blood of Christ. So I just ask you, do you have this peace today? Do you have this hope today? What do you need to let go of today so you can have it? What do you need to place in the hands of the Lord today? What do you need to release over him so you can be on this path to a peace that transcends all understanding? What do you need to do today to receive this gift of peace? Well, only you can answer that question. But I pray and hope that the Lord has got a hold of your heart and caused you to think about some things today, perhaps, perhaps you haven't been thinking about in a long time, and to recenter yourself, your, your mind and your heart on the things that truly matter. Can I pray for you? Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you for being the Prince of Peace. Lord, I thank you for fulfilling all the prophecies that this child that was born unto us today, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray that these become very real to us. That, Lord, you remind us of what it is that you're truly all about. But, Lord, even as we talk about these things, my heart is heavy for anybody in our church family who is not experiencing peace right now. And, and maybe it's, it's family drama. Maybe it's job-related conflict. Maybe it's peace that's not there right now because the finances are not where they need to be. Lord, Lord I don't know what every single person might be going through in this room. But, but my prayer today is heavy. That in a way that would transcend understanding, that your peace would just come over each of these situations. That, Lord, your peace would come over a marriage that right now is not experiencing a lot of peace. That your peace would come over a home that's not very peaceful right now. That, Lord, your peace would come over decisions and finances. 
and that, Lord, that you would bring a hope and restore a vision and a focus that just hasn't been there for a while. Lord, I pray that one of the most basic foundational pieces of your story, hope and peace, would flood back into our lives. And as Lord, you remind us about what we're really here for and what this life is really all about. Lord, may we be driven to our knees and surrender. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And it's in your name we pray these things, the name of Jesus our Lord.